the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. I remember Samson in the Bible. He was quite a character. He's like the original muscle man that people, if you envision like Hercules or something, he was, Samson was strong. One time a lion tried to get him, and he just took the lion and ripped him in half like he was just a corn dog or something. You know, he just tore it up. People tried to, the Philistines tried to come after him, and he killed a thousand of them with the jawbone of a donkey. Show did. Whooped them good. Tore them up. One time they was laying wait for him. They said, when he comes out in the morning, we're going to get him. He come out at midnight. Took, took the gates off the city, the city gates, and took them and pulled them up the post up out the ground and carried him up on the hill just to show he could and threw him off and walked on. Wasn't worried about it. Wasn't worried about it. T- t- caught 300 foxes and tied their tails together and put a torch in them and burned up all the enemy's crops. Got mad because they, they tried they tried to cheat him out of thirty clo- uh, suits of clothes, so he went and killed thirty Philistines and took their clothes and and paid his bed off. I'm telling you what he was tearing the enemy up because why? Because he had the Holy Spirit of God on the inside of him was his power. He was endued with power from on high from a young child. He was a miracle birth in the beginning. His mom and dad couldn't even have a baby. But God gave him the baby and told him never to cut his hair, that he has a Nazarite vow. He's dedicated to God, and I'm going to fill him with my spirit, and he's going to be a deliverer and a judge of my people. And that's exactly what he was. But the only thing was, he didn't value this gift that he was given. You know, a lot of people that are just supernatural. I, I knew a guy one time play guitar like Eddie Van Halen. All up and down the neck, just just like it. He could play any song, anything better than the original. All over the place, and he could have played with any band. He could have had his own record. In fact, they tried to give him a record deal, but he just quit playing. It wasn't fun to him. It wasn't no challenge. Had the gift, but didn't appreciate it. And that's the way Samson was. He always had it, always took it for granted. Next thing you know, he's taking it such for granted, he's joking about it. He's got this little prostitute girl named Delilah laid up in his lap, talks him into telling her the secret of his strength, and she cuts his hair off, and he loses his strength, and they poke his eyes out. The enemy comes and and immediately puts his vision out. He loses sight. But I think he had already lost sight of what was important. His duty to God to use the gifts and the calling and the Holy Spirit that he has given to be a judge of the people, to help the people. He had lost sight already. Samson had the the power, but he gave it up. So we're in our series called Soul Winners. 
<clears throat> tonight is part two, and we're going to entitle it, Get Them Lost. Get Them Lost. Wait a minute, I thought I was in a Christian church. I thought you were supposed to get them found, Pastor. Well, tonight we're going to tell you how to get them lost. <laughs> in fact, y'all still have those? Go back here, Joe, again, and get look in that thing and get those salvation cliff notes and pass everybody a copy out. Do y'all have your salvation cliff notes from last week? Who has them? I wish I had some candy to throw at y'all. Two people's got their notes from last week. Now, remember, we're talking about how to win souls, and that salvation cliff notes sheet tells you the scriptures that give you the basic principles to, to understanding what the process is. They got another one over here. Of, of how to get somebody lost so you can get them found, really. All right, what did we talk about last week? The first column was God loves you. And we talked about how wonderful God's love is. The second column is what? You ain't so lovable. Did I just say that? Okay, so we're in a Christian church and we're talking about getting them lost and, and we're going to preach on you ain't so love, lovable. <laughs> Something sounds backwards here. But I'm going somewhere with this. So you got your salvation cliff notes. The reason why it's so important to get them lost is because when I first got saved, I was such in a rush for people to, to be forgiven like I was, to experience this freedom that I, this newfound freedom that I had, that I couldn't wait to lead them through the sinner's prayer. And I think a little bit of it was pride. I was just trying to see how many people I could get saved and be a good Christian. I was trying to show God how, what a diligent worker I was. But I was telling everybody, and the first thing I was, do you want to go to heaven? Well, say this with me. And I would lead them through the sinner's prayer. But they had no idea what they were really saying. And most people would say, yeah, I want to go to heaven. Who ain't going to want to go to heaven? But what I was missing was getting them lost first. Now, what you talking about, Pastor? What you talking about? Well, what does the two scriptures say? Under, uh, you ain't so lovable. Romans 3.23 says, For everyone has sinned. Amen. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Does it say most of us? All of us. Romans 3.10 reiterates, says, As the scriptures say, no one is righteous. Not even one. So that puts us all in the same boat starting out, don't it? That puts us in a bad place because we've all fallen short of God's glorious standard to enter heaven. And see, I didn't spend much time there when I was witnessing to these folks. I didn't tell them that they were lost. I didn't tell them that, that, that this salvation, this ticket to heaven, was as opposed to a, to a ticket that they already possessed to hell. If I'd have spent a little bit more time showing them that they was lost, they might have valued being found a little bit more. For example, I said this at the Dare to Share 101 class. If you're flying American Airlines Flight 817 to Michigan, and you're at 35,000 feet, and the airline hostess comes on the 
intercom and says, Hello, everybody from American Airlines. We'd like to welcome you aboard to Flight 817 today. Today, for you flying with American Airlines, we'd like to give you this wonderful uh, gift uh, from American Airlines. And they pass out brand new, spotless, never used, freshly packed parachutes for everybody. And everybody gets them and they're like, this is cool, man. I'm going to hang this up in my office. You know, a couple people put them on, said, this fits just right. Look, and they're showing them how to click it on. But after a few minutes, it's kind of uncomfortable in the seat. So they take it off, stow it up under the seat or put it in the overhead. Somebody's trying to sell theirs. <laughs> but if the stewardess would have got on there and says, people, the this is not a drill. The plane is about to crash. We are about to pass out special American Airlines parachutes. We'd like you to put yours on right now. They were tightening that thing up and getting their air mask and everything ready. Ready to put their head between their legs and do the drill, right? They're, how many people you think is going to be walking around without their parachute if they know that plane is going down and this is their only hope of survival? Now, what's the difference? Because in life, this plane is going down. One way or another, either Jesus is coming back or you're going to die. 100%. 100% of the time, this plane is going down. And we know we have the parachute. But the problem is, is if we present it like Hey, you'd like one, you want one of these? Without letting them know that they can't survive without it, then that's why you got so many so-called said-to-prayer Christians that don't go to church. Nothing in their life has changed. They do not wear any hint of salvation. And the question is, are they really saved or have they been made false converts? False converts. How many do you suppose are in America today? And my heart breaks. And the reason I'm so passionate about this is because I, I really feel like I may have made some early on. By just never getting them lost before I tried to get them found. And now they're not wearing their parachute, but they think they're safe. Does that make sense? So why did God give us the law? If the law could have saved us, then why did Jesus die on the cross? Some people say, well, I'm just going to be good enough to get there. They think they can live according to the law. But Galatians 3.24 says the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. That we might be justified by faith. We might be made right with God by faith. Not that we kept the law, but that we have faith in someone, the only one who did. And the law was there to show us, you can't keep me. <laughs> I could ask any one of you and anyone in this world about the Ten Commandments, and we've all broken one of them. And that's a good way to get people lost. So I'm a good person. You ask them, are they going to heaven? Most of them say, yeah, I think I'll go to heaven. If they say think, <laughs> that's a good clue right there. I think I'll go to heaven. Well, why do you say that? Well, I'm a good person. Eh, wrong answer. 
All have sinned and fallen short of the glorious standards of God. We're all in this together. And the law is simply our schoolmaster. It teaches us that we can't keep it. And we better be looking for a parachute in a different area. Because that's not the lifeline that we need. Because we've messed that one up. So the law was there to keep us from killing everybody and try to keep some order in the land, but also to lead us, as far as salvation goes, to a different life source. Why did John the Baptist come before Jesus? He came as a forerunner. He said, I come to make, make your paths straight. What was John the Baptist's main message? He went around, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. He didn't say, say this prayer. He showed them their lostness. He said, I tell you, God is able to, of these stones, raise up sons to Abraham. And you, you over there claiming you're righteous because of this or that or, or because you're wearing that long robe with those tassels and everything. You den of vipers. <laughs> Who has warned you to flee from God's coming wrath? That's what he was doing. He was telling them about God's coming wrath. He says the, the, the axe is already laid to the root of the tree. It's about to be chopped down. This plane is going down. And he says, repent. What uh, was Jesus' first message? Mark 1.14 says, <coughs> you got to excuse me. <coughs> Now that after John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Jesus is preaching the same message as John the Baptist. Repent. What did the Apostle Paul later on in the New Testament preach? In Acts 20, 21, he says, Testifying to both the Jews and also to the Greeks, Repentance towards God in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance and faith. It's a turning away from your current situation and putting your faith, your trust, in something else. I looked up the word repent. It means to turn from sin and dedicate oneself to the amendment of one's life. It's not just... It's not just saying, I'm sorry, I feel bad that I got caught. But it's saying, it's a turning away from it. I'm willing to turn away and dedicate myself to make amends and to amend the way I live. A dedication. And so God is saying, the way to be saved is repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance of your old life and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm repeating these things because we need to know this when we're witnessing to people. There needs to be repentance in their heart. And if they don't know they're a sinner and they hadn't got lost, then they don't feel like there's any need to repent, do they? And so they skip the repentance and they say, okay, I'll put my faith in Jesus if that'll get me to heaven. But they never have repentance. People need to get lost before they can truly get found. And listen, sin is worse than we first imagined. It's worse than I believe we get it, give it credit for, than we realize. We, we play with it sometimes. We try to touch it. 
think we can ease on into it a little bit, but keep this foot on solid ground, and we walk around the edges of it, and we whisper to it, and we flirt with it from a distance, and all these things, because we sin can be kind of cute, you know, when the devil masquerades as an angel of light, and the pleasures of this life, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life and all these things are calling our name and making themselves seem attractive and so so we think well it's just a little sin and and i can ask for forgiveness later but sin is an affection sin is what's wrong with everything that you hate about this world that you live in is because of sin sin is evil it's nothing to play with sin started in the garden when adam and eve they said, you know, we're going we're gonna to eat this tree of this tree even though God said not to. But God said, the day you eat of that tree, you shall surely what? Die. Well, Adam went on to live 930 years. So somebody might be scratching their head. Well, how is that? God said, the day you eat of this tree, you shall surely die. He did die. He didn't die physically. He still had a little charge in his earth suit. But he died spiritually. What did God do? God brought him, he sacrificed some animals so he could bring him some animal skins and cover them up to temporarily cover their sins long enough for him to get them out of the garden. Because they had to go. Because sin can't stand in the presence of a holy God. And God had to run them out. And, that, and that's where it all started. Sin came into the existence of mankind. Sin. Adam had now sold his soul to the devil. We think that only goes down at the crossroads down in Clarksdale, but no. It happened in the garden. He sold his soul to the devil. And then after that, sin was in his veins. And when they had their first two children, Cain and Abel, it didn't take long for sin to rear its ugly head and Cain killed Abel. And it hadn't gotten much better since then. Throughout the generations, it got so bad that God had to wipe us all out with a flood, trying to just find eight that could was just smart enough to get on the boat. You know what I'm saying? Sin is nothing to play with. Romans 5.12 says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. I did mention that the death that it brought was spiritual death, right? What What is a spiritual death? Spiritually speaking, death is separation from life. That's why he had to leave the garden, because they they couldn't carry this death in the presence of life. The two don't meld together. In its very definition, death is separation from life. They were separated from their life source. God is life. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. In Romans 7, 18, says, And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. That's what Apostle Paul said. So we see that it's a nature. 
We see that sin is, in the Bible is called our sin nature. It's in our nature to sin. And in Isaiah 64, 6, we're all infected and impure with sin. It's an infection. It's a disease. It's a nature. It's a, it's a driving force in our reality. And I hate it too. And if, you, if we all understood what it was, we wouldn't tease with it no more and play with it and pet it anymore. We would see it for what it is. It's destroying us. It's destroying our lives, our families. It's the root of all this sickness and disease and curse here on the earth. And it's horrible. We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they're nothing but filthy rags. And for us to think, for any, for Mother Teresa or anybody to think that they're going to stand before a completely holy, righteous God on Judgment Day and say, well, I think I stack up. It's not going to happen for anyone. It can't happen for anyone because we've all sinned. We were all born into sin. Even if we haven't sinned, we were born into sin. It's in our veins. It's our nature. But it didn't take us long to sin. You don't have to teach a, a three-year-old to be selfish. It's his nature. The sin nature. We're infected and we have a sin nature. And that's why as Christians, it's, it doesn't pay for us to go around trying to clean up sinners. It's like washing a pig. Their pig nature is going go, to go right back to the mud. It's their nature to love the mud. And so many people, when they're witnessing, they're trying to help them, give them some life pointers. <laughs> and they're saying, well, if you'd stop doing this, your life would go better. And, you know, this is a sin, and we're pointing out their sin, and they already know they're sinner. I mean, they already know their faults. But we need to help them understand what sin is and where sin is leading them. Fish swim, birds fly, and sinners sin. <laughs> it's their nature. And don't be surprised when they do. Some people, well, they get saved and they say, well, I'm not, I'm not witnessing to them because they cuss too much, you know, or they'll, they'll do this or whatever. <clears throat> Look, you're not that fragile. Some people think that, you know, I can't take the Holy Spirit with me into that place. The Holy Spirit's been there before, believe me. He's not fragile either. It's more your attitude not wanting to win somebody that grieves the Holy Spirit than you going into a place that there's not full of cookie-cutter Christians. <clears throat> when I was lost, I wanted to be a good person. Bad. I mean, I tried my best. If, there were, if I'd have had an anger management class, I'd have probably went to it on my own. But I'll still throw the milk. I mean, <laughs> if you wasn't here a couple weeks ago, we talk, or last week, I talked about throwing the milk out in the street when, before I got saved. There was a lot of things I did to try to improve my bad attitude. And my bad behavior. I wanted to be a good person. And I tell you all the time, I, 
I ask them in the jailhouse, how many of you want to be a good person? Everybody always raises their hand. See, we can't look at sinners like they're less than us. They're just not informed and haven't been shared the good news like we have. The only difference between us and them is we've been forgiven and they hadn't yet. What do we have, the Bible says, that we weren't given? Your gifts, your talents, your very salvation was a gift. Well, anyway, somebody once asked me on the phone. They called me, and I guess they were trying to justify their lifestyle or something. I had been ministering to them and trying to tell them you get their life right and give your heart to Jesus and trying to get them lost. Well, they just bowed up on me one day and said, Tell me where in the Bible it says that if you don't, if you don't give your heart to Jesus, you're going to hell. Tell me where it says that. It kind of caught me off guard. I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, I think it says it all over the place. I think the Bible talks more about hell than it does heaven, you know. But I couldn't, you know, just pull a scripture out of my ear somewhere. Couldn't remember where. But I got one here tonight. And I thought I'd share it with you. Turn to Matthew 13. Jesus does talk a lot about hell. Now, if we were only supposed to be that greasy grace kind of gospel shares where we don't get anybody lost then then why is jesus talking about hell now i'm not saying hold signs that say you're going to hell and i'm glad of it you know i'm not saying preach it like you want them to go there but it says it some saved by fire if you have to scare them scare the h out of them you know however you get it out of them Matthew 13, 36 says, Jesus, well, let me set this up. Jesus had just told a parable about a farmer who had cast seed into the ground and he come back and the seed sprouted up and it was wheat, but there was weeds growing with the wheat, tares, they called it. And the people said, did you put bad seed in the ground? He said, no, I put good seed in the ground. An enemy has done this. An enemy has come along and sowed Weeds along with our wheat. And the people said, well, we'll just pull up the weeds then. We'll get out there and weed the garden. He said, no, if you do that, they're growing so close together. You pull up the weeds, you'll pull up the wheat with it before it's time. We'll just let it grow together. And in the end, we'll separate. <coughs> so Jesus told them this parable. When they got alone, the disciple says, tell us about that parable. Because they, they always wanted to know what he was talking about. And in verse 36 says, Then leaving the crowds outside, Jesus went into a house, and his disciples said, Please explain to us the story of the weeds in the field. And Jesus replied, The son of the man, or he's talking about himself, Jesus, is the farmer who plants the good seed. The field is the world. And the good seeds represent the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people who belong to the evil one. Say belong. They belong to the evil one. The enemy who planted the weeds among the wheat is the devil. Are you getting a picture of this? The harvest is at the end of the world, and the harvesters are the angels. Just as the weeds are sorted out and burned in the fire, so will it be at the end of the world. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will remove from his kingdom everything that causes sin or who does evil, 
and all who do evil. So anything that causes it, causes you to sin, or anything that sins, in the end, has got to go. Because now the kingdoms of this world will belong to our God. Right? And the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It kind of sounds like hell. Do you agree? But then on the other hand, the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. And anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Now, the, the separation comes from who you belong to. See, the evil was the evil seed was sown by the devil. And it says they belong to the devil. But Jesus sows the righteous seed. And they belong to his kingdom. So it's who you belong to, what matters in the end, where you go. Whether you go into the fiery furnace where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, or where you shine like lights in God's kingdom, like the sun. So it's all in the who you belong to. Romans 5.17 says, For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. People say, it's just not fair that I'm born into sin. It's not my fault. You know, I didn't do anything. I, this is the way I was born. Can I, it's all Adam's fault, you know. But why one man caused seven billion of us on the planet to all be born into sin? That's not fair. But even greater, or even more wonderful, or even more unbelievable is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man Jesus Christ so if you're complaining about the one man that threw you into sin then what are you going to do about the one man who who by his grace and mercy brought you out of sin and gave you triumph over sin now did you see what that says when you put your when you have repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus, now you experience wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness and you triumph over sin. Well, what about that sin nature? What about that infection? That's your old man. You have become a new creation in Christ Jesus. Now you still live in this flesh that has a downward pull. And you can dig up that old man and let those old appetites pull on you. But now you have the Spirit of God. God has sent His Spirit into your heart crying, Abba, Father. He has adopted you into His family. He, Christ has conferred His righteousness into our situation. We have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We have everything that we need that pertains to life and godliness. Everything to, that gives us victory or triumph over sin, we have it. We're not some cleaned up version of the old us. 
And we don't have to run back to the mud. We're a new creation. He claims us as his own. We have a new daddy now. We've been bought back with a price. We belong to a new kingdom. We have new purposes. New reason to go on. And we should be so conscious of the Holy Spirit that he has sent into our lives to give us this overwhelming victory. The same power that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in our mortal body to give us the victory over sin. What a shame. What a shame it is if, if we fall back into our old ways when God has done all of this. That's what grieves the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is here to give us everything that we need. Without Him, we have no real love. We have, we have that fake love that, that only wants what it wants that we had before. But, but shed, the Holy Ghost has shed, shed the love of God abroad in our heart, right? The love of God is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Ghost. So we, with the Holy Spirit, we have real love. But without Him, we have no real power, no real joy, no real peace. And no real hope for any of these things in the life to come. Without the Holy Spirit, we're, we're going down. And we'll experience that second death. And we'll experience that great white throne of judgment. Where our works will be brought out in a book. And read before us. And we'll have to face the infection that we, have, we had become of sin and stand there and listen to it in front of a holy God. And then we will be uprooted and cast into the fire. That's a dire situation. And we as Christians, we have to have that understanding burning in our hearts when we see the lost. I'm telling you, you don't want your worst enemy to go to hell. The person that gives you the most trouble, that is the worst person that you know, you can't stand even being in the same Walmart with them. You don't want them to go to hell. Because it's hot and it's dry. And they want to die and they can't. And it's forever and ever and ever and ever. And you soul winners have the words of eternal life. And we must, we must do something with it. We must. Ephesians 2.12 says, In those days you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from the citizenship among the people of Israel. And you did not know the covenant promises that God had made to them. In the old days, you didn't know anything about this. You just -doo -doo -doo, had no idea. You lived in this world without God and without hope. You were dead to God. But now, say but now. See, I love when it says that. <laughs> but now, you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God. Say but now. But now you have been brought near to Him through the blood of Jesus. Now you're not dead to Him, you're dead to sin. Romans 6.22 says, But now, say but now, 
You are free from the power of sin. Free from the power of sin. Are you listening to me? And have become slaves of God instead. Now you can do those things that lead to holiness as a result and result in eternal life. See, eternal life starts the moment you ask Jesus to be the Lord. The life comes in and it's eternal. And it's not some far off place of heaven. Eternal life is now. Can we still sin? Yeah, I guess. But do we have an excuse now? No. The infection has been cured. The nature has been suppressed. Victory in Christ. Romans 6.11 says, So you should also consider yourself to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. I'm telling you, we got to stop making excuses. It's in the way you see yourself. Stop saying I'm a sinner saved by grace. You're identifying as a sinner. Stop saying I'm an alcoholic. Stop saying I'm a, I'm a recovering this or that. Maybe you used to be, but you've been set free from that sin. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's by faith that you were saved. It's by faith that you walk it out. You call those things which be not as though they were. You are not what you used to be. You are set free. You have the victory. And you can overcome. And you can do the right thing in every situation. And the Holy Spirit is there to, to back you up. We're like Samson in reverse. He had it and didn't appreciate it. We didn't have it. And now we need to appreciate it that we do. We don't take the things of God for granted. We're not going to let some harlot cut our hair off. We're not going to throw our pearl before the swine. We're not going to get back into to the miry pit that we've been brought out of. We're going to keep our feet on solid ground and we're going to live holy lives. We're going to overcome and we're going to do that which is right in the sight of God so that we will be a city on a hill. And so that we can, can get the log out of our own eye so that we can help get the speck out of our brother's eye. And so that we can go and teach somebody else that, that they're lost so that we can give them the parachute that they need to be found in Jesus Christ. It's so important. This is the most important thing. All these other things. Your 401k and your job and even your family relationships. Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. You come follow me. We got work to do. <laughs> I'm telling you, all this stuff, it'll be a distant memory 2,000 years from now. When you're in heaven, 20,000 years from now. And you're going to be glad, glad you're in heaven 20,000 years from now and not the other place. Once we were truly like grasshoppers in the world's sight. But God, 
God before you, who can be against you? He's on our side. We have the victory. Now, after hearing all this, aren't you glad that you came to Jesus? It's exactly how the sinner will feel when you tell them this news. When you lay it out, heaven or hell, you're lost. You got to be found. It won't be some add-on, some something that they take and put on the shelf in their office. They'll put that parachute on and they will wear it every day of their life like we are. It will mean something to them. And that's what we need to remember is all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you don't remember any of that, anything else from what I said tonight, let them know Jesus loves them. But you're lost, dude. And without Him, you have no hope in this world. Because you've sinned and you've fallen short of God's glorious standard. But next week we'll talk about what God has done and the justification and why we're justified by faith. And so, see, as soul winners, we need to understand these basic principles. So when we get into conversation, we don't panic and lead them straight into the sinner's prayer before they get lost. And there's no repentance. We need to remember repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're all in this, we were all in that boat together as sinners, but through faith in Christ, repentance towards that, from that, and faith in Christ, we can be brought into the kingdom of God and saved from the ravages of hell. And that, my friend, is my point tonight. Any questions? That's a good old-time gospel message right there, isn't it? Nuts and bolts. We can't, we can't get off the basics because just because we've gone on from the elementary teachings of the, the milk and the, the pacifier, we want to get into the deeper things of God, but, but, but we look back and we realize many of the people who want to know about the complexities of the Holy Trinity don't know how to get somebody saved and don't even know how they got saved and don't know what happened and, and didn't know that they were lost and didn't know the dire circumstance that, that life puts us in. So, yes. Yeah. It's almost like we have just enough faith to believe that we need help but then we don't even we don't dig further to find out what the help was we don't know what the, the uh, covenant package is we don't know what, what Zoe life means we don't know what the God kind of life we don't we, we scoff at the idea that Jesus says the works that he did shall we do also we're like that's somebody else and then so we live a powerless Christian life most of the church in America don't even acknowledge that the Holy Spirit's down here anymore you know, so how are they going to live in the power that they're called to live in? It's not your power, it's God's power in you. And it, you're not having faith in yourself. You had faith in yourself before. How'd that turn out? But now you have 
We're supposed to have faith in the, in the God that is on the inside of us and the promises are yes and amen to us and all the things that He says in His Word are supposed to radically change the way we see ourselves. That's, that's the best preaching all night, amen? <laughs> that's good. Uh, Well, I also say this, that there's forgiveness when you do sin. 1 John 1, 9 is for, written to believers. It isn't written to the lost. It's written to believers, believe it or not. If you, when you sin, if you confess your sins, <coughs> excuse me, God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And so, uh, coming out of the world, you don't know all the promises. You don't know you're a baby Christian and stuff. And, and even as we go along in this life, you're going you're gonna to make mistakes. But you, you, one of the things you also do, you begin to learn who you are in Christ, but you also begin to learn that God, God is on your side and He is continually merciful and He's forgiving. And He's, he's thrown that out there that any time you confess your sins, He wants you to see that your sin debt has been paid. You're not confessing your sins again for salvation. You're confessing your sins again so that there's nothing separating you from your life source anymore. Because sin, you get sin built up, then you begin to, to run away from God. It's a natural response. You begin to pull away. You don't have faith to believe for things anymore. And your relationship begins to suffer with Christ. So he would rather you just own up and say, hey, I missed it, and I have sinned. And God, please forgive me. I confess my sin before you. And by faith... You begin to believe the promise that there, that He takes away your sin and, and cleanses you of all unrighteousness. And that healthy relationship with God begins to, to make you free. And then pretty soon you begin to see yourself as, as what He has made you and then the, the, the power of sin begins to wane and it has no appeal to you anymore. And then the Holy Spirit is in your heart. And when you go to sin, it's like, Boom, 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 boom. You know, he's telling you, he's making a way of escape. We have every tool that we need to overcome sin. We just need to put them in place. And one of the main ways we can do that is begin to see who we are. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And we need to stay in Christ Jesus. And we can overcome this world just like he did. We can overcome the temptations of it. And we can... Ride on the wings of victory in Jesus' name. Anybody need saving, healing, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, need prayer for sickness in your body or anything before we go? You need some lotto numbers. <laughs> All right, let's start over. Let's go back to page one. Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God said, I think it's time to quit right there, because we're, we're deteriorating at some point. No. <laughs>
We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.